Can you catch this? Or match this? Check this direct to your spinal axis. Welcome back to Catch This. I'm Justin Woodson with Adam Saperstein. We have a special treat for you today. We've invited several residents from military family practice programs across the country here to talk to us about a number of issues that come up as they think about their transition from the final year of the residency program into their first follow-on assignment. We do have representation from the Army, Air Force, and Navy today in our residence, and we'll hear a little bit more about them here in a minute. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn over the interview to Adam to kick us off. Great, I'm Adam Saperstein, as uh, Justin mentioned. Welcome to Catch This. Uh, we're really fortunate today to be joined by three of our colleagues uh, who are just finishing up in each one of their residencies. Uh, they're about to make a transition to the next stage of their careers, and they're willing to come into the studio and chat with us for a little bit. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'm Lieutenant Mona Singh. I'm coming from Naval Hospital Jacksonville. I'm a third-year resident, and I'm headed to Naval, well, actually, I'm headed to uh, the Greenside to 3rd Marine Division in Okinawa. Great. Welcome to the show. And uh, I'm Tyler Reese, so I'm a captain in the U.S. Army, coming from Madigan Army Medical Center um, out in Washington State. I'll be finishing up residency there, and then I'll be headed for a palliative medicine fellowship at the University of Colorado. Welcome, Tyler. Uh, I'm Will Bynum, uh, also a captain uh, in the U.S. Air Force, uh, currently a finishing my third year in residency at Fort Belvoir Community Hospital uh, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, after this year, I'll be transitioning to a faculty role there where I hope to stay for a few years. Great, great. Well, welcome all three of you. Um, have you ever watched The Brady Bunch? Ever seen The Brady Bunch before? Yes. Yes? That was a little while ago, Adam. It was a little while ago, and I am dating myself, myself but that, that's all right. You know, there was the Peter Brady song. You remember the Peter, Peter Brady song? He was really upset because his voice was changing, and he sang the song. Do you remember the song, Justin? It's hard to forget. <laughs> when it's time to change, it's time to rearrange. It was a song about puberty, and we're not going to go there today. But we are going to talk about change. And our listeners are really interested in this component, which is that they're interested in how your views have changed of both yourself, um, your view of medicine, your view of military medicine over the course of residency. And so I'm curious to ask whoever wants to, to jump in on this one, you know, as you reflect on these last three years, how have your views Changed again about yourself, about medicine, and also specifically about military medicine as you're about to embark in this this next stage of your career. Well, I mean, the interesting the thing about where we are right now is that this is really the end of a of a multi-year process, more than just finishing residency. I mean, it's in, it's incorporated medical school, college. Really, I can think back till when I left my parents' house at age 18, and and that's where my transition really probably began. If I look back to the really the beginning of medical school, moving into residency, there's a lot of maturity that comes along with those years, um, not only because of exposures I've had through patient experiences and through the knowledge I've gained, but also just from, from getting older and being exposed to some pretty incredible mentors um, who have helped me to, to grow and understand more about myself. Self-reflection is a key component to becoming a, an effective physician and it's not always comfortable. I think one thing that I've learned personally is to be more comfortable with my own incapabilities, my own weaknesses, and to to use those to get stronger and to lean into that discomfort. At the beginning of med school and, and in residency, when you're especially residency, when you're constantly being evaluated, it's easy to, to hide from those those weaknesses. And I think now, three years later, I have more of an appreciation for 
how much growth can come from learning about your weaknesses and addressing them and also helping the learners behind you uh, understand how to be comfortable with those. Yeah, so the way that kind of you saw yourself changing, it sounds like, it's kind of this maturation that you're, you're talking about. Was there a component where your view of what medicine is, what military medicine is, has changed over three years, or is it kind of the same as the way you saw it when you when you first started out in residency? And, and that was what I was going to get to kind of when you were saying initially, is I think that in the last three years, the reasons I went into family medicine then are different from the reasons that I like family medicine now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't change my decision, but I think the aspects of it for me have changed significantly. I think I went into family medicine... Um, out of med school because I couldn't decide what else I wanted to do and I could do almost everything Um, and it's refined from that and I still enjoy doing a lot of things but seeing longitudinal care getting closer to patients being the primary care provider now has become so much more important to me than that um, diverse medical practice aspect that I liked initially and so my reasons for liking it have changed a lot but it hasn't changed to my ultimate goal I still so for me it has changed quite a bit yeah, and you take care of what we all do, a population, and we rotate fairly often. It's interesting, this idea of the continuity of care. I think it's important to most of us that are physicians. I'm wondering, you know, sometimes I think when we rotate and we move every three years, it almost is even more important to put an emphasis on on the continuity we can. What are your thoughts about that? So, I mean, we're, we're doing this recording, and we have a lot of equipment here, and the magic of technology, I think... I was talking with Will when I initially got here. I have one of the, an OB patient who I've been following through her pregnancy and she was set due when I came here. So I was missing out on her delivery, but um, a friend of mine gave me a page. I was able to, to kind of call in. I actually called to her labor and delivery room because I knew that she was there and gave them a call. It was right after the delivery. I didn't call while she was pushing or anything like that, but um, was able to call her right after the delivery and be able to talk with them and make sure that everything was comfortable and kind of set those things up. I'm set to see them for their two-week well baby check um, after I get back. And so tried to was able to keep that through that kind of magic technology. And it's really important to me. And Medicine is, is humbling. Um, it's a different flavor of humbling when you first start as an intern. I think you're humbled by the fact of what you don't know, which is a lot. And so as, as I'm ending, the humbling thing is now is the, the respect that you get from your patients. More so that you, what you realize you know, but don't know, but realize that the patients really trust and, and admire you, especially when you're up at two o'clock in the morning attending to them. Yeah, and you're about to go out to, um, you know, the pointy end of the spear, as we call it, out in Okinawa. So, you know, what are your thoughts about heading out? And, you know, you may be the only physician taking care of a large number of people with nobody else around at times. And being female is a commodity, too, as I understand it on the green side. I think the best advice you get is from those who aren't physicians. As physicians, we want to fix things right away. And the very first advice I got was don't go in there fixing things before three months. Look at it, observe it, because the change that you may try to make may be a change that didn't work for them. So you just have to take your mentorship and wrap it all around and, and just embrace it. And I'll get back to one of the, the kind of subparts, subthemes of this initial topic, which is we each go into residency with a certain view of what we're getting ourselves into. And Tyler, you talked about this as far as what you were looking forward to. You know, I think most of us go into residency as well in the military with a certain view of military medicine. 
And so I'm kind of curious to get back to that idea. Like, have, have your views of what military medicine is, have those changed at all over the last few years or not? When I came into residency, um, I had had little to no indoctrination at all into mm. military medicine life. I grew up around a little bit of military, but went to a civilian college and a civilian medical school on, a, on the scholarship. And so the only impressions that I have uh, had of, of military medicine that, at that time were my own, and, and they were more judgments than anything else. My biggest concern going in uh, to the military, or at least to active duty service, was that I would lose some sense of my own identity by being in the military, hmm. and I wouldn't be able to continue being my own person. Uh, I was concerned about that. I also didn't know what to expect with the healthcare system. It's much different than the civilian form of healthcare in that we have, we are a socialized system and we're closed walled and everyone has insurance. I thought that there would be a lot of frustrations practicing in the military and that I wouldn't be allowed, I wouldn't be given the flexibility to pursue my own goals as much as I would have been on the civilian side. What I found was really the opposite of all those things. And that's been really exciting, a, a, a huge relief in a lot of ways. Uh, my identity is stronger than it's ever been. I've been I'm still my own person. I still do everything I've ever wanted to do and have been supported as such. The The system itself, it, it is different, but it is different in the in a lot of great, great ways. There are absolutely some frustrations, I mean, but the civilian side has frustrations. There are military unique frustrations, but they pale in comparison to the values that are upheld in the military medical system by the quality of our patients, by their appreciation for our care by our ability to follow them from the outpatient to the inpatient and back to the outpatient realms, by the level of compassion and care that's given to these soldiers, uh, airmen, Marines, and their families, and really to the level of academia that exists in the military. Having been involved in some national organizations in academic medicine, I can tell you that the, the especially family medicine, but military medicine as a whole, is highly, highly regarded in academic medicine in this country more so than most civilian institutions. So for all those reasons, uh, I'm proud to be a member of, of the military in military medicine. Uh, and I don't know that I really thought I would have said it uh, that strongly three years ago. Yeah, that's no, very interesting. How about the two of you? I didn't know that I would necessarily have had an identity crisis. I'm a pretty strong bullet person. So for me, leadership was one of those aspects that I went into military medicine for. The one thing that I have gotten out of residency and being in uniform is that I can practice evidence-based medicine and not feel like I'm restricted by money or my learning by money. I've got to figure out how to chart for RVUs, but instead I can think about the medicine aspect. Now, somewhere down the road later, I'll have to learn the money part of medicine, but as a resident, you have so many strings pulling at you. And I felt like, you know what, the money thing can wait right now. I can learn about being a leader in the military aspect and being a leader from a physician aspect and learning the medicine. Yeah, just a follow on, Mona, were there, were there some things that surprised you? I mean, for better or for worse, you talked about anticipating that there would be leadership that would, it sounds like, be, you know, positive leadership and you were excited about that. Were there, were there things that you have experienced that are just different, that were surprises? Maybe they're positive surprises, but we're surprised nonetheless. I did like, and I thought this is highly positive, being able to teach Corman med techs that leadership role, that teaching aspect. From a physician standpoint, unfortunately, we're the lowest on the totem pole, so the other leadership opportunities haven't lent themselves just yet, but I know the spectrum is going to blossom. Yeah, and maybe that's something that that we wouldn't have seen in medical school at a civilian location, Not couldn't even anticipate 
gosh, I may have this whole population that I get to teach and be a leader to. Is that right? Is that because the nurses already know everything on the civilian sector, and as a med student, you know nothing. Some of the most valuable lessons I've learned have been from nurses, no question about it. I think when we were talking about what military medicine means, and oftentimes in civilian sites, I went to University of Colorado, spent a lot of time just in community hospitals that people had no real concept. And so they were like, oh, you're going into military, so you take care of soldiers, and be like, yes, and their family, and retirees, and this big population, and realizing that really I practice the same medicine as anyone out in the community does in terms of the population. There are some nuances, I think like Will was mentioning to, you know, there's some military specific things that you learn to do, but really you're caring for a population of people, of humans, of Americans, and it's not any different than those. Now there are some differences in terms of, you know, you may have an overabundance of younger, healthier men and women who you're caring for that may be a little bit disproportionate to the community side. But then again, there's still just a population of people. I think it's one of the things that that gets missed often when people talk about operational medicine and talking about military medicine specifically is that it's not all just trauma and triage. There's a lot of population health. And I find that part, that point amazing is some of the mentors that I've had in residency who are out on line units who are working, you know, with special forces or with artillery or with, with infantry, they're still caring for like this population and they're the doctor. They have a cell phone. Everybody has their number. When something goes wrong, they call them. They're still looking at covering and doing preventive health for those organizations. So it really is just a population of people that need care. And I think that that's been, I've kind of brought that, that my perspective of continuity and longitudinal care also does apply in specific operational military. Yeah. But the the uniqueness of being a family medicine military provider is, once folks who are civilian finish the residencies, they won't do any more chest tubes. They won't do any more of the trauma stuff. I still have that opportunity if I go operational, which I will, that still exists for me. And that's what's unique about family medicine in the military is we will still do triage and trauma. That opportunity does exist. Yeah, and that the connection that exists in between specialties in the military, I mean, there really is this family feel where it may be that... We haven't done a chest tube for a while and the surgeons are right there to help us do the first one, the first two, and then we're back back doing it. So I, I can definitely uh, understand where you're coming from with that. I, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are medical students, HPSB students and USIS students, and you three have expertise. You've been in residencies where students have been rotating with you over the course of the last three years. And, and I'm curious, what what advice might you have for some of our listeners as far as when they come to a military treatment facility to rotate or to interview, given that maybe they've only stepped foot in a military hospital once before, if they're an HPSB student, maybe they have lots of experience if they're from the Uniformed Services University, but but what, what advice do you have for them, both generally and then more specifically to each one of those populations? My first step in a military hospital was as a fourth year rotating family medicine the first thing you need to have with you on day one is a lot of patience. So you've got to be patient and you have to be flexible. Uh, there are some there are some logistical issues that have to be worked out uh, as, as part of a, being in the military. And, and your frustration can easily get the better of you. I, I speak from experience. And that is not just advice for a medical student. That is advice for a resident, <laughs> a practicing physician, for anyone. So patience and flexibility is huge. Uh, and then attitude. The thing that I was really struck me about that rotation, the, my first exposure to the military was how hardworking everyone was and how dedicated everyone was to the patient and to each other. At the same time, there was very little ego. And so I think, 
and that's that's unique to the military, I, I think. Probably because as physicians, we are not at the top of the food chain. We are support staff for something, a mission for other people that are bigger than us, really to the American public. And that automatically helps keep our egos in check. So coming into a new rotation with a positive attitude, a, a really passionate desire to learn that you're showing outwardly and having left your ego at the door will set you up not only to do well in the rotation, but also to learn as much as possible from people who are dying to teach you. I think the first hospital I stepped into was Portsmouth, and I was doing an OB rotation. I have to piggyback with you patients, trying to get access to the computers, getting checked in so you're you're good to go to work in the hospital. Those are all important things. And from my perspective as a resident, what I would like to see medical students do is, is just come in ears open, eyes open, ready to listen, ask questions, be that sponge to take up stuff. So you guys are in a, a role where, as, as residents, where you're directly mentoring medical students um, in the clinics and the wards and whatnot. Talk briefly about what kinds of things you've seen students sort of put their foot in their mouth over or embarrass themselves or, or you know, the con- converse of that is, of course, what kinds of things have they done to help shine or to, to show you that they've... Uh, you know, are progressing and, you know, doing well, you know, the things that might translate into good evaluations at the end of the experience. I think one thing that gets lost oftentimes, and this is difficult for HPSPs when they especially haven't had any exposure or not, remembering that military bearing will take you a little bit of time, but you need to be cognizant that you are not doing it sometimes when you're stepping into that military role. Nothing will make you look better or relate better to active duty soldiers or to you know, retirees who have, have earned a rank than to address them by that rank. And so contributing to that, you know, not calling your active duty soldier who you have admitted to the hospital, sir, when it's actually master sergeant, and that, that can, that can take you a long way. And it shows a, a level of respect and that will help you a lot, both with the people who are trying to teach you as they'll, they'll, they may give you more pearls. They may teach you more because they see that you're willing to make that step. Whereas a lot of people come into the system from HPSB, from the civilian side, they don't have that mindset. And they use a lot of sirs and ma'ams, but realizing that there's there's a, a different level to that and that you really do need to pay a little bit of attention to rank and things like that and address people appropriately. It, it helps both from a patient perspective uh, and from and your supervisors. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, our listeners, uh, we, we haven't talked about this yet, but all three of you are coming from HPSP backgrounds. So have, you know, uh, an understanding for that scenario. I mean, it makes me think many of our students who are HPSP students, they do ODS. They then may take school orders to do their boards. And so it could be a couple of years before they've really touched the military when they come back into those rotations. You know, I, I think back and I wonder, you know, maybe some of our students would really benefit from just taking a look at, you know, you're saying the, the rank, just remembering the names, uh, you know, the, in the Navy, we, uh, Mona, you can help me out here. I mean, Absolutely. we have, we have names that, that are different from the army and air force colleagues and, uh, just and knowing that's you important. You mentioned, uh, taking school orders. I didn't take school orders. I used every rotation to go to a hospital to get exposure. And I would discourage taking school orders to hang out and get paid. You are better off getting out into a hospital, getting acquainted, learning as much as you can, wearing the uniform. Because I tell you what, for me, if you don't know how to wear the uniform, you're not taking this seriously enough. And that, to me, is a turnoff. No, it's, it's a good point. I'll, I'll say a brief anecdote, which was that uh, when I was a medical student rotating at Bremerton, uh, one of my medical student colleagues came in. And, you know, the, the rank comes two to a pack. And the oak leaves come two to a pack. 
and she just figured that, well, if there's two, they both go in the uniform. So she had two ranks on the right collar. She had two oak leaves on the left collar. And someone had convinced her that the, the brass belt buckle went on the right hip. And so she walked into morning report, and one of us got up and just kind of grabbed her as fast as possible and turned around and tried to get her away from the visibility of the residents and the staff so we could kind of help her to realize that she was, you know, looking like the, um, the station wagon on National Lampoon's vacation with all the double lights. If you remember that uh, that movie, there were double lights everywhere on that on that one. So it was double ranks all over the place. That reminds me of a story. One of the first stories about military medicine I ever heard was from my father. So my my dad had uh, actually, ironically, volunteered for the army in order to avoid the draft during the Vietnam period. And he, t- he t- my mom actually tells this story about he was walking across. I, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in California, uh, staging base, getting ready to go overseas. In fact, he was headed to Hawaii because his first duty was, was there at Tripler. And, and he had a private stop him because he looked so bad in uniform walking across the base to correct the atrocities there. But, you know, it goes to speak about the idea of uh, military bearing. And one of the things we try to get across to the students, of course, is how important it is to look and act like the people that you serve. And in the military, that's a little bit unique. And, and that brings me to my question, really. I, I, I'm curious now. So we're talking about a lot of the, the background and, you know, from coming from civilian medical school, the HPSP program and so forth. And now you guys are, are sitting in a mentorship role in the hospital. And you, you see students coming from both both of our communities that we're really uh, talking about here, the USU community, the HPSP community. What's the difference? What do you see? Do, do, do the USU guys have a have an edge or do they not? Is that a myth? Is it is it something? Where, where are the strengths and weaknesses that you see? Be, be honest with us. I still think it's an individual and not a, are you an HPSP or a USA student? I think it's individual dependent. I see an individual. I, I don't necessarily see HPSP or, or USA. I'll try to answer that a little less politically collect correctly, I guess. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think I think the best way to put this for me is there are exceptional students from both sides and there are bad students from both sides. The consistency of the quality of students from USU is higher than the consistency of quality from the outside. And I what, what I mean by that is that when you when when we receive a, a group of USU students, I know the majority of those students are going to be good. And and when I say good, I don't just mean smart. I mean open to feedback, teachable, likable, engaged. The HPSB students are just a little bit more of a unknown commodity. We just don't know because there's so much variation in the schools from which they're coming. Not to say there's anything wrong with the schools or the candidates. It's just they're a little more of a wild card. So the consistency there may be more varied. Both sides pr- produce great students, uh, but USU certainly uh, consistently, I think, produces better. Do y'all agree with that? And sometimes I wonder if it's um, that wild card factor is students coming in from HPSB like I did are more overwhelmed because they're still trying to incorporate the military unique, military bearing perspective and trying to figure out Alta and the military medical systems that are difficult. And so they have a much steeper curve to correct, to get to the point where they can incorporate that sort of medical teaching knowledge. And I agree with you. I mean, definitely have seen pluses and minuses on both sides and um, students who we've had to work a lot harder with from both sides. But I, I, I agree with that kind of wild card scenarios. You don't know what's coming on. And sometimes I try and give them that benefit of the doubt that there's a lot of a lot of stuff that they're trying to incorporate that, that, that the USU students don't have to. They know how to wear their uniform. They know who and when to salute. And so sometimes that can be, it can be tough. Yeah, I, I agree with that very much, and I, I, I like the, the fact that you brought that up. 
H, I, I remember as an HPSP student on my first rotation, having a, a decent amount of self-consciousness about my lack of knowledge about military bearing, about the way things worked, the computer systems. And that made me a little more hesitant and very initially to engage because I just, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, and I didn't feel like I, feel like I totally belonged. So that, that's a great point. And, I, and for all the HPSP students potentially listening, I would encourage you to go for it anyway. I mean, the reality is, we all are aware of that. And, and, and a lot of us still have a lot of room for improvement on that. And so we're in the same boat as you. I will say the quick fix of that is having a strong base at your medical school. I came from Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences, where we graduate about 20% of our class HPSP students. Being the president of the Military Medicine Club and disseminating information as it's acquired by rotations, graduations, you know, returning those receipts, which were awful. If you share that information <laughs> with your cohorts and colleagues downstream, you make a better product. So do you think that there's, you know, we talked about maybe there's an advantage that exists for use of students because of their familiarity with the system. Do you think that there are areas in which HPSB students have an edge? The fact that they get that out of the military exposure and they get real, you know, life experiences. I mean, you don't get, excuse my language, crackheads, patients like that in the military health system. You see a lot more of real world from an HPSP student. Yeah, sure, Tyler. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I got out of medical school being in civilian side was I, th- I don't think I worked in the same hospital twice or with the same electronic medical record or with the same patient population. And so I got, had a lot of that coming in. And of course, now that's all funneled down to Alta and Accentris and... But, um, you know, we, we giggle and probably the HPSP students and maybe some of the issues students who listen to that will know what Alta is and know the frustrations that a lot of providers have with it. You know, we've, we unified to one electronic medical order. So I think that that's a benefit. I agree. Um, I agree with Dr. Singh that that is something that someone from HPSP has is they have a little bit different perspective where there's, there could be some ingraining of very uniform, systematic ways to practice or patient populations. I think a good example of the opposite of that was I went to school in Colorado. I didn't take care of a single person who had sickle cell disease because people with sickle cell disease don't tend to live at mile high. And so, you know, I never saw one of those until I actually got into residency and we had someone with sickle cell disease. And I said, I've never seen a single patient with sickle cell. So there can be plus and minuses on both sides. I want to also add to this because I think it's actually coming to a really great point that I hope that I can make is that uh, the HPSP student does have an advantage, especially the fourth year student who rotates through, who's been through a year of medicine in a civilian hospital, has an advantage in that he or she may have seen more pathology, more diverse pathology than we see in the military. And, and that student then has that to offer as a way to teach even some of us residents and young faculty who have only worked in the military. We have much to learn from those people and their input, just as the USU students have their own military experiences to share with the HPSP students. So the take home, I think, from this for the student of either coming from either background is to go into this experience with a desire to share your knowledge and your experiences with one another to make that experience better for everybody. And don't let that stop with sharing with the medical students. Share with the residents and share with the staff. I know and speak for family medicine here. We are all open to learning from our medical students. Now, you alluded, uh, I forget which one of you said that, you alluded to the idea of the student coming on board should engage right right away. My question is, is how would you recommend a young medical student who you know is coming into a new situation, doesn't know anybody, 
you know, maybe his first rotation, maybe not. Maybe his first rotation in the military system. Maybe he's scared to death about it. Maybe he's not. But what's the right way for the student to engage with the uh, with the program? I think I said the comment about engage, and there probably it's a probably a loaded answer to that. I think to summarize, maybe everything that's running through my head very briefly is attitude. Attitude is one. So that's just being positive, being uh, some being confident, being willing to learn, which gets into the Another term that's been running through my head throughout this is teachability. Be teachable. Be open to receiving new knowledge and feedback, even if it's not what you wanted to hear or if it's a little uncomfortable. Embrace, I mentioned at the very beginning, embrace the discomfort of being in a new place. Don't don't hide from it. You know, lean into that discomfort and let and grow through it and strengthen through it and know that everybody else is going through it too. Whether they're new to the hospital, whether they've been there, whether it's an intern or a, or a faculty, everybody is experiencing some level of discomfort with being a medical learner. And, and so we're all in this together. So I think not hiding from that or wasting any time just on day one, except that it's going to be a little bit difficult to, to assimilate, but don't, don't hide from that. There's a saying, I think it comes from the South, closed mouth, don't get fed. So if you don't speak, <laughs> nobody can answer your question. Um, if you don't know how to get to the wards and you don't ask, you'll never find the wards. Hey, I think sometimes it's about a stage analogy that exists in the sense that when we go to a concert, we're not looking for someone to sing horribly. It's not like NASCAR where you go and you're watching somebody race and you're actually kind of excited about the crash. And I can see in a situation where someone's uncomfortable coming in, you know, they might back off even more because they're worried about what might happen. But I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of comment on that, because I think that on rounds, that's a good example of a place where you're kind of on stage. But comment on kind of what's going on there and, and how a student coming from outside should feel about the team environment and what's happening in that kind of environment. I think as a medical student, the strength that you should remember is that you're so close to the basic sciences, things that have slipped out of our file cabinet because we have so much more to know that you should share. Be willing to oh, yes, I know how that medicine works by this mechanism. Or if we use that antibiotic that doesn't get these set of bacteria, it's okay. It's okay if you make a mistake as a medical student. It's going to happen. It's going to happen as an intern. It's going to happen as a second year. You learn by making mistakes, not by doing things right the first time. So the reinforcement of learning is made. So you may come up with the right answer. And the, the third year may have not thought about that it's okay shout it out i think something that and this is students everywhere this is any medical student in any scenario something that hinders is we're all in some way shape or form a little bit type a and we've all received like well in general people feel like they've always received good positive comments and they're used to that and entering into clinical medicine which is where most of hpsps end up kind of really falling into the meeting military medicine is on a clinical rotation is you start to actually get negative feedback you start to get criticism you start to get those things that you're not used to seeing and so they may see that on the wards and then to top that it's they're not used to the military ranking system and now it's a colonel who's giving them negative feedback and so it makes them feel even worse now because that person's way above me and i don't know what to do with that you know i encourage people to realize that negative feedback is still with the intent of making you better um, and to not try not to take negative feedback to heart and that's hard to do do you see a lot of problems with students having issues receiving feedback. I'm actually writing an article about this right now. I've been talking about it all week, uh, about feedback and mistreatment. 
and all the different emotional responses that go with receiving difficult feedback, uh, especially when it's mistreatment. At the risk of going on and on and on, because I could talk about it right now, I'll just say very briefly that the best advice I can give to a student who receives feedback that isn't exactly what he or she wants to hear is don't internalize it. Don't make it about you, the person. Make it about your learning. Make it about something you did, not who you are. And and the something you did or didn't do, the mistake you made, can be corrected. And if you feel guilt over that, that's fine. That's okay. That's healthy. Guilt causes people to try and repair and to get better and learn. But don't internalize it and let it become a shame experience where you where it becomes about you, the, the person, and some deficiency in you. Because I promise you, every single person in medicine screws up weekly, daily sometimes. We all make mistakes. We all don't know things. In, in terms of coming on to rounds the first time, I mean, don't worry about not knowing things. You're not The expectation is not that medical students know everything or know anything for that matter, especially coming right out of the undergrad years. The expectation is that you're willing to learn and you're open to learn and that you show progress and that you show that you're absorbing and you're engaged. The best attending I ever had on rounds who addressed this issue, he, he asked questions of everyone on the team until everybody on the team didn't know something. And so we were all very much on the same page at the end of it. We all didn't know something and we were comfortable with that and okay. And then every single one of us was then you know, sent off to go learn something and come back. No, I think uh, sometimes you realize, you think, oh, I answered the question wrong and that makes me bad. And I'll say that, you know, as, as me trying to be an educator on, say, the inpatient team where I'm the senior resident on the team, I'm responsible for teaching. We kind of do those things where we ask a lot of questions and we ask the student and the student doesn't know and then the intern gets it and the intern answers that question and then we give a question to see back and forth. At the end of that rounding session, I generally don't remember who got the answers wrong. And I think that that's probably pervasive. I don't know for a fact. It'd be a great study to do. But I think that that's probably pervasive is that the, the people who are asking you questions, the people who are inquiring about your knowledge, probably don't remember that you got the answer wrong. It's probably wiped from their memory slate after they walk away from that experience. And so if you get the answer wrong, don't sweat it. Recognize that that's a deficit. Go and look into it. And and be able to laugh at yourself. You know, I, we're all, we all say stupid, stupid stuff on rounds. We do stupid things. You know, and and we laugh at each other, but you should be able to laugh at yourself first. I mean, this is don't take this so seriously. This this is a an awesome experience. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, without the ability to laugh at myself, uh, it would be a lot of crying. Yeah, I mean the the uh, it's a it's a team it's a team environment. And the nice thing is that, uh, as you've said, we're all looking to help each other out. Well, with that, we're just about out of time for today, but I want to make sure that we thank the three of you for coming in on behalf of our listeners, Justin and myself. We really appreciate your insights. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Justin Woodson. I'm Adam Stafferstein. Keep reaching for excellence, and we'll see you next time on Catch This. Thanks for listening. This podcast was released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial share-like license. Some rights are reserved. For more information, check out creativecommons.org. The opinions and assertions contained in this podcast are the private opinions of the authors, hosts, and guests and are not to be construed as official or reflecting the views of the Department of Defense or the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. For more information on Catch This, check out our website at www.catch-this.net. Hey, if you like our title song, it's called Mic Check by Nature. Check out Free Music Archive online for more great Creative Commons music.